0: This is the all-sports podcast devoted to your favorite teams in North Texas. Welcome to Ballsy,
1: a production of the Dallas Morning News and Sports Day.
2: Our weekly show is proudly hosted... Okay, strike that. Our show is hosted by Kevin Sherrington, Evan Grant, and myself. I'm David Moore, and who knows, maybe we'll have a special guest or two along the way.
1: Catch other episodes by subscribing to the Ballsy
2: Podcast on iTunes. We're also on social media. Just search Ballsy Podcast on Facebook and Twitter, and you'll be notified of the latest episode. Don't forget, it's Ballsy with a Z. Are you ready, sports fans?
0: Ballsy starts now. Hello,
1: everybody. Welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News Sports Podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by David Moore. Hi, David. Hello, Kevin. How are you? I'm just super good you're looking good yeah me too you too right back at you i love the quilt by the way, thanks buddy i don't know if i've said that before but i want to let you know that
0: and evan grant hi evan good morning kevin david can you hear me
1: yes evan hello evan it's it's evan coming from
0: 1934
2: hello come in can you hear me Hello, hello. Uh, well,
0: I, yeah, I don't know that I want to go back to
1: 1934, but no, no, I don't. I don't want to go back to any time. I don't want to go back to yesterday. <laughs> I am plowing forward here. We are moving forward here. So it's a big day today. The, the Rangers are going to be playing baseball against somebody besides themselves. Uh, that's going to be tonight. Uh, that'll be i have I have been in uh globe life field uh just to see it uh it wasn't it wasn't exactly finished when I was there um but this will be my first time to see people actually playing a game inside of it Evan has been there quite a bit Evan give us your uh your your
0: first takes
1: uh of the field and what you think about it
0: well, it's big and it's green um <laughs> And they still have to water it, even that artificial turf. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean the uh, because it's an organic material and you, you want to keep that um, you want to keep that coconut husk uh, a little bit moist so that it, it continues to act natural. Uh, I, I guess my first impressions of the stadium um, from inside it uh, listen, you'll hear a lot from us in the media about how high the press box is and we'll continually complain about that and I'm I'm not gonna. I I don't want to make that a, a point, but you are a little bit. You are high, so you're looking at it from a different angle than I think most fans. And I think the thing that stuck out most to me visually was just that you're looking out at these vast windows in left field at the architecture of the old ballpark, and there's something. Weird about it. There's something a little bit comforting about it, and then there's something that makes you say, "That's really a dramatic ballpark." Why are we looking at it from across the street? So it's it, it's a weird feeling. Um, but inside the stadium, it look it's it's comfortable, um, even with the roof open for one of the uh, squad games on Friday night when it was I believe 95 in Arlington. The stadium felt pretty comfortable for most of the evening. Um, I just don't know that I feel like, at this point in time, I've noticed anything that catches my eye is in from the interior element as as dramatic, right? A dramatic, iconic feature on the field. There's no certainly no Green Monster. Um, there's no gimmicky stuff like you had in Houston when you had the howl's hail in center field um, and you don't have the gimmickiness of the train on, on the train track but there wasn't anything especially with no crowd in there there wasn't anything that just felt like oh my god your eye is drawn to this uh, I think when you do get a crowd in there and when you and when balls do, do start flying it's going to be really interesting to see how those bridge seats in left field that look like they're kind of suspended in midair i think those are going to be a real eye-catching figure but it's hard to judge a ballpark with with absolutely nobody there it's been a really weird feeling for the last two weeks
1: so i i assume they have you know of course there's that humongous uh replay screen over right field uh that it, it actually juts out a little bit into play uh i assume they have not even turned that on right
0: oh no that, that that's been on um oh that's been on the whole time. They've actually for during um, during inter squad games. What's been interesting is they've been running the um, their their pitch analytics up there. So they've been we've been seeing actually like spin rates and and movement speeds and things like that or movement direction for uh, for pitches.
1: Will that be something that'll be available during the oh, season? No,
0: no 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 that was. No? Just- them during during inter squad games, <laughs> that might be it. I mean, the board is fantastic. Look, the, the the board's fantastic, but I think David, we all we all feel like the board at Jerry World is fantastic, but it also can be kind of a detriment too, right? Because your your eye goes to that constantly.
2: Sure, your eyes are drawn to it, and you have to make a conscious effort. Depending, especially the higher up you are, if you're high up and you're close to eye level with the board. Uh, you see the action much more clearly on the board than you do looking down without binoculars. So, but again, th- this gets back to the different viewing experiences that, that different generations have and how they intake this. And and I was struck the other day, uh, Evan, you'll probably know, I, I forgot the game, but as, as, all of, as all of these teams wrestle with what sort of presentation they're going to put together for the TV, which is as much a part of these, uh, the this summer league uh, getting ready as as uh, a different element, you know, angle of the organization doing it. Wasn't there was there one team that actually had to stop their game because uh, while they were experimenting with the crowd noise and what they were doing uh, with the overhead system, it got so loud that it actually interrupted with the game.
0: Well, there I I, I didn't read that, but I, I did read um, you know. MLB has spent a lot of time investing in this um, uh, this whole system where crowd noise can kind of rise with the moment, and and sure. you've got kind of a constant buzz in there. There's there's been nothing, you um, know, Arlington in my personal experience. There's been nothing that's been uh, awkward. Well, awkward's not the right word. It's all awkward. But there's been
2: intrusive nothing,
0: into the yeah, terribly intrusive. Um, I think it's going to be interesting again. Once you've got games that actually matter, and and you've got you've got moments that matter, I think you'll be a little bit more uh, you'll be a little bit more attuned to to what the reaction is in there. But the Rangers have spent that's it's been part of these last two weeks is Chuck Morgan and Michael Gruber have spent pretty much every day trying to hone their in-game presentation. Um, because it is going to be a big part of of how this whole whole thing appears on TV. David, a,
1: a quick question. This has always bugged me about the about the video screen in Jerry World. Uh, why is it that Jerry won't put anything, won't allow anything on the screen except just fans? I mean, if you go to any ballpark in America, football stadium, baseball stadium, whatever, they'll in between putting up. Shots of uh, uh, you know they'll occasionally show fans and that kind of thing, but they'll put statistics up there, you know, things that are interesting, you know, about the game, and and, and invariably at, at a Cowboys game, it's just pictures of fans. It doesn't matter if the team's winning, the team's losing, it's just pictures of fans. Rowdy, you get some really awkward. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that's the case too. I, I just don't understand it. It's like I think fans would love to see during the game. Hey, oh, you know, Emmitt's got, you know, uh, uh, Zeke's got, you know, 64 yards and seven carries. You know, it's it's that kind of stuff. I don't understand why he doesn't. He they they don't allow that kind of thing up
2: there. I I believe that. <laughs> I asked this a long time ago, and I, I believe the principle will still be the same you know they they put some numbers on the smaller sideboards that that are around the stadium and they want to they want to save the big screen for actual uh live in game emotional if you will experience now now they will show um you know th- there are some uh videos that are produced that they will put up there as well, but they want to they want to leave it to replicate or enforce or support what is actually going on in live time in the stadium versus using graphics. Uh, it, it, because they feel it, that that's a large board. They just don't want to have a static effect on such a large board. They want live action. And so that that's the determination they've made.
0: You lose the impact of that board if you just use it for information. You know, I mean, the, uh... The, the, that is all about emotion, and it's it's why I don't know what they call those guys in the white shirts and black stetsons who they constantly show creeping people out in the in the end zones, um, but they're constantly showing those guys trying to rev the fans up, and it's it's all about emotion. And if you want information, you can go you know to those corner boards. Now baseball, is a little bit different, right, because it is a game of information, and so you will have on that on that big outfield board there will be um line scores and uh some statistical stuff and everything but it's it, 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 that board in cowboy stadium and to some extent this board and, and the video element of the sport at, at, at the Rangers park part of the experience for these fans is seeing themselves on this giant video screen right like, like, them, that's, be, but that's
1: the problem with it for me is that I mean, it just becomes a situation where the Cowboys are down by 64 points and people are just yelling and screaming like crazy trying to get on the screen, you know. And it just it just feels like you're at a funeral and people are are whistling and, and cheering, you know, hey, hey, look at me. But it, I just think that's – you know, run, run some stats down the sides. That's the thing. That's what they do at, at other states. You can run it down the sides of this humongous screen and still show that stuff in the middle, but just – Because I don't want to have to hunt and peck. Because here's the thing. It's like y'all said. I actually have to sometimes put my hand up to keep me from looking at that screen when I'm trying to watch the game. Because it's so freaking big, you know, and it's so dominant. It's like I feel like I could have stayed home and watched this on television. It would have been the same thing. So I'm trying to just you know, distract myself from that in the first place. So anyway, that's my complaint. I don't know if it will have the same effect in the baseball, uh, uh, the new baseball stadium or not. I guess I'll find that out tonight.
0: The video is the, the video element is really is is really nice. Um, I think the, the the graphics elements are going to be really good in in there um, in, in there too.
1: Okay. All right. <laughs> Very good. So is uh, Isaiah Canafarella going to be the third baseman? Yes. Todd okay. Frazier's at first base.
0: Yeah. Th- th- I mean, that's how they'll enter the season. I think Chris Woodward has made that pretty pretty abundantly clear now um uh, i i think the question would be would they use one of the left-handed hitting first basemen occasionally as a platoon guy um and i i don't know that right now they can make a case for that i think that uh as you sit as you stand right now both frazier and and uh kinder falefa probably have to figure in your everyday lineup as you as as Two of your nine best hitters. So I, I think whichever of the first baseman Bird or Guzman they end up keeping, um, that guy would be strictly a backup defensive replacement. Somebody who would go to first base in the eighth inning with uh, with a lead. Um, I, I think the other thing that they've got to figure out is, are they gonna are they willing to carry Willie Calhoun into the season, even though he won't play opening day might not play the second game either. Um, he does appear to be making better progress with his, uh, um, with his hip flexor muscle than they expected. And, and I don't think that they're going to end up putting him on the injured list to start the season. Um, but what his role will be the first few days of the season uh, is probably limited to just a, a potential pinch hit appearance.
1: So, I, Evan, you may have accounted for this, and, you know, I read everything you write, but I, uh, I may have missed this. I may, I, it might have been when I was in a coma. Uh, you, may, you may have or, forgotten about
2: it. You may have, or, or you may have read just, it and forgotten about or, it. I <laughs> was
1: just so stunned by, by it that I just, like, wow, I, I can't even absorb that. Um, the, the, the lineup has become decidedly more right-handed because that was something they've been trying to do now for a while because it was way too lefty for a, for a long time um how do you think that's going to impact uh the lineup and uh and and what do you think the lineup's going to be well, you hit uh, or uh, either you or Sam Bloom had written that that uh, Woodward had more or less committed to Joey Gallo as a cleanup hitter yeah uh, but we didn't I, really know what else
0: i asked him over the weekend on one of the zooms like if he had made a decision on where he wanted to hit Joey and uh He said he was going to hit him clean up, and and a lot of that came down to. That's where Joey feels um, most comfortable right now. But it's clear he'd like for Joey to be capable of hitting in the top three spots because he is this team's most talented offensive player. You want that guy to get the most number of plate appearances possible. But if he's going to be more productive right now in the number four spot than he would be in the number three spot, that's where the Rangers are going to go. Um, what I am going what I plan to write off at tonight's team is about the top of this lineup because is gonna lead off for this team. and then it appears that Elvis Anders would hit second and Danny Santana hit third. Um, and this team had real issues in the number two and three spots last year. Um, Elvis was a drag on this lineup, hitting primarily in the number three spot. Santana was pretty productive in the number two spot, but if you look inside his numbers at the two spot, he was pretty much an average number two hitter in the American league. Um, And if you're not getting guys on base for Gallo in the number four spot, he's just kind of wasted there. Um, It's really, I think this lineup is going to go in a lot of ways as far as, as Elvis is, improves this year. If he is, if he still struggles to get on base, this team's going to struggle to score runs early, and that's going to that's going to create issues. Um, so I, I think he's the real linchpin in the lineup. And clearly, the other question is where is O'Dor going to hit, which I think right now the manager is leaning towards six or seven. Um, and Rugie has had a good summer camp, but he's had good spring and springs before, and then hasn't carried it into the season. If the swing continues to be What we've seen this summer camp and what we saw in the spring, which is a little bit more stable, the leg kick is not quite as violent, a little bit more balanced, and it allows him to control the strike zone a little bit more, he could be a real dangerous hitter and could add a whole different um, layer to this lineup. So you think Todd Frazier hits fifth probably? I would think so. I I mean, I guess if you wanted to against a right-handed starter, you could stack a bunch of lefties in the middle without a whole bunch of of concern um but i i think that more than likely he's got a, he's going to have a right-handed hitter fifth uh-huh. and a, another lefty six yeah it'll be interesting to me to see how this all develops because you know the guys who have been impressive
1: and of course it's like spring training and we know what that means um uh, the most impressive hitters have been guys like uh Connor Falefa, uh nick solak uh the guys who who uh, certainly in Solak's case this is a guy who who came with a little bit of credentials as a hitter and thought he would do that and that's what he's doing um and you know I go back to the same thing with Elvis hitting second it, it's almost it, it just always feels like to me it's like well this is this is where we've always hit him so I mean that's what we got to do and and it, it's like I'm I i do not know why you have to live under those conditions I, I don't you know, except for, except for one really good year and one pretty good year in the last four or five years, he just really hasn't hit, you know, and he hasn't gotten on base and he just hasn't really done anything. And so at this point, it's like it, it, it you know, uh, this year of all years, when you, you got 60 games to get this thing, right. You know, you're going to start out of the box with guys who really haven't done much lately. And if they, if they end up doing the same thing again, then you just, you're just spinning your wheels. And, and for me, if, you, if I want to send a message to this team and this lineup, I'm gonna I'm gonna put Nick Solak hitting second, hitting second. If I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, I, might, I might even put Connor Falefa in the top six hitters. You know, to me, those are the kind of things I'm gonna do to send a message to this team is that these guys are doing what we want them to do. They got good, they got good potential, and we appreciate what you other guys have done. You're still in the lineup, you're still a starter, but but hey, this is a
0: new world. Well, I, I I think the thinking right now is thinking. I listen. I I kind of agree with you right now that that hoping or or expecting Elvis Andrus to to be a legitimate top third of the lineup hitter is more hope than it is um, strategy, uh, because it, the the numbers just don't suggest that he is. I'm not sure that you can that you can say that Nick Solak or Isaiah Kind of Falefa are. Um, uh proven number two or three hitters either. No. But it would be a significant development for this team one way or another. If Elvis does step up, great. Um if those other two guys step up and Elvis steps up, your lineup is suddenly much longer. If one of those two guys steps up and Elvis doesn't, I would expect that you see before the end of the year Kiner Falefa, Solak, Calhoun, two of those three guys hitting in the top in, in the top third of the order. Um, so, and let's face facts that with this season being two months, uh, by when I say by the end of the season, I really mean, you know, you could see that happen two weeks into the season. You, you, you could, uh, they won't wait long to to pull plugs on, on this stuff. And, um, Elvis has got to get off to a fast start. This team needs to get off to a fast start based on how the schedule st- sets up. And that's, that's, it's important for Elvis to do that. To make this lineup to make this lineup actually work as, as it's going to be set up,
2: it, the condensed form of the season, like you're pointing to Evan. I mean, is some, do you feel like these sort of decisions are going to have to be made after two or three series? I mean, because you're really getting into a pretty significant percentage of the season with three series.
0: Yeah, it's you know, look two weeks right now. Two weeks is the is the equivalent of a full of well six weeks, you know, that's, that's basically what it comes down to. Um, and you're not going to give hitters much more than six or, or eight weeks at the start of a season to really get themselves on track in, in, in a full season. Uh, I, I think that, I, I think the first two weeks are going to be the evaluation period, no more than that. And if guys are struggling, particularly uh, with what the Rangers call their process numbers uh, you'll see, you'll see significant changes. I mean, the manager has said, He's not going to wait long-term to make changes. Uh, he can't afford to wait long-term to make changes. And so it, it's up to these guys, no matter how kind of, no matter what kind of summer camp or spring camp they had, it's up to these guys to immediately come out and produce.
1: One last thing before I want us to swing over and do a little bit of Mavericks and then the Cowboys. Uh, but I want to ask about how this stadium is going to play. This is, you know, of, all, of all the stuff we've talked about, you know, it'll be cooler and that'll be nice and, and you know, uh, you know what the sight lines are like and all that. Yes, those are all important issues. But, you know, in the end, to me, the biggest thing is how is the stadium going to play? This market for, you know, for most of this market, until they put up at, at Old Arlington Stadium, uh, until they put up those billboards up there, to kind of stop some of that prevailing uh south wind uh coming through and blowing like a tornado and and you know guys were hitting balls and you know and they're they're turning into pop-ups. Uh, until they did that, this has been hitter's paradise. You know, it it has always been a hitter's uh park here and the teams have always been built that way. You know, they they were they were built to have guys, you know, you, you had to have tough-minded pitchers, guys that were, you know, I always go back to to Rick Helling, you know, it was a tough-minded guy. Maybe his stuff wasn't great, but he wasn't going to be intimidated. He was going to do what he had to do. Uh, I can remember Kenny Rogers telling me
0: once that – Rick Helling and Kenny Rogers, want to come here. they were the prototypes for that stadium. They knew yeah. that they weren't going to have terribly sexy numbers, but they weren't going to be intimidated. And um, now the idea – look, with a stadium that doesn't have any uh, – Jet stream effects doesn't have any real, should not have any real significant wind issues um, except for maybe a handful of games over the course of a year. Uh, and we're talking about 162 game season. Uh, the park should play fair. The dimensions are bigger. Um, the gaps, while, while the gaps are brought in a little bit, they're, they're just bigger in terms of space. Um, Mr. Science, how does that work? It's just a bigger park from foul pole to
1: foul pole. <laughs> um, I think there's just so much science. In it. It, it, it is deeper to left center. That it is it is significantly it's deeper.
0: Significant, it's significantly deeper to center, but it's not deeper to left center. Left well, center, I mean,
1: I mean left of. I'm talking about kind of left of of center field, right there. It's like 410 feet, is it not? And I think in the old park it was probably part
0: of this park is, is to straightaway center in this park is 407 but straightaway center in the old park was 400
1: yeah yeah it, it, it's a little, and i and i think I, I'm, I'm interested to see how this is going to impact everybody because the majority of this lineup has played in the in the old ballpark you know which is now the old ballpark uh and and got used to it and and, and knew what it was like and obviously the hitters you know all liked it i am interested to see the the psychological impact of uh, a guy you know when Joey Gallo complained about it, that's ridiculous when Joey Gallo hits a ball it's a moonshot you know there there are no you know I I, I love Tom Greaves I, I hate to say he would always refer to a cheap home run a, a guy hit, hit, a, hit a, a a wall scraper you know they just barely cleared the park man a home run's a home run so but you know that's not Joey's deal. There are going to be other guys in the lineup that that's going to that's going to impact. And I'm I'm just wondering psychological impact on them. And then conversely, the psychological impact on the pitchers who feel like, hey man, I don't have to worry about. I can throw this. Uh, if a guy hits it, it's not going out. It'll be a long fly ball, but it's not going out. It'll embolden. It, it should embolden those guys. Uh, it'll be interesting to me to see how this plays out. I don't know how much we'll see of it in a short season. But, but certainly we'll start to get a taste of that.
0: I think the biggest psychological impact, Kevin, is going to be um, for, for outfielders um, on the defensive side of the ball. I think if there's anything that's going to weigh on people's minds about this park, it's going to be that. As you mentioned, um, with the dimensions a little bit bigger and the heat not being a factor, I think pitchers, um, they just won't have as much to worry about. Does it embolden them? to be more aggressive. I don't know if it emboldens them to be more aggressive, but it, it, it allows them to be a little bit more free on the mound. And I think that hitters will see that the park plays fairly true. But what I got from talking to people about potential home field advantages and edges was there are some issues for guys trying to pick up the ball uh, against this, this roof. Um, you, you, first of all, it's always, you know, you're playing under a roof that's always some kind of an adjustment. This is a unique roof in that there's a big stretch of it that is a different color from from the other color. That's to allow natural light in early in games. That's going to have a different look than it would later in games. I don't really see a real shadow issue with any of that, but I do think that players are going to have to adjust to that ball going in and out of that, that section of light. and. There's going to be some issue for that. And if that's in the back of the minds of, of outfielders for opposing teams, uh, the first few times that they come in here, I think that you could, you could see a lot of balls that become adventures um, and, and potentially, uh, potentially end up as, a, as an advantage for the Rangers. Um, I think that's why summer camp, the biggest advantage to come out of summer camp was the Rangers got two weeks of no pressure ability to work out in that ballpark under that roof. That, I think, can't really be overstated. That's significant. Uh, is it possible, because I think we saw that
1: one of the umpires complained about the hitter's eye, uh, yeah. batter's eye, and that it, it uh, the way it looked. Is it possible they could still be making adjustments out there, that they could
0: be painting stuff, different colors, doing different things? At some point, you've seen that with any number of ballparks, right? Um, the, the, it all looks good, and then once you actually get people on the field, there's some kind of an adjustment that needs to be made um and and i think that uh that that's something that the rangers may have to at least revisit once this first homestand is over with get some feedback and see if there needs to be some stuff darkened up up there
1: and i I don't think you know we should underestimate either uh we we always when we talk about pitchers and pitching in the old ballpark we we always talk about the jet stream the heat was a significant factor I, i i still think that um uh, that it, it impacted a lot of pitchers for the Rangers. You, you could usually tell I, – I can remember uh, watching Cole Hamels the first time at, or the first few times at the ballpark. His face was so red when he was pitching, and I, I didn't ever remember seeing that at any other time in his career. You know, and the and the number that that uh, you produced for the baseball section is just unbelievable. Because people will always want to say, this is why this is why we like facts, right? Uh, we, this is why we like science. Is that oh, it's hot, it's hot in St. Louis too in the summer, right? It's hot in Chicago in the summer too, right? Yeah. Well, Evan, tell us what the numbers were of of, of games played since nineteen ninety four
0: in the ballpark that were over ninety degrees how many how many days were there it was um i believe it was 762 and st louis was second i think kansas city or atlanta were third and both of those were at less than half the same number um, less than
1: half yeah. so
0: that tells you that we're we're living and playing in hell
1: here and meanwhile everybody else is in the garden of eden see so that that's that's been the issue all these years
0: correct and i mean there are other problems that have their there are other stadiums that have their own issues but the heat here has been pervasive. Um, I asked Mike Miner this weekend again, look, what do you, you're, you're about to be a free agent. You're evaluating this park as much as, as any potential free agent. What do you think? And he said, I think it's going to be an advantage in, in, in attracting and keeping players. He said, I can't tell you the number of pitchers the last two years that I've talked to who come in here and say, I do not know how you do it. I hate this place. It's so hot. So, I think that that will potentially have an impact, um, but where the Rangers are concerned, there's a caveat, okay? They always seem to be looking for the advantage that allows them to sign a player for less than the market value, whether it's state in, the lack of state income tax in Texas. Or in this regard, they're going to say, oh, what a great stadium it is to play in. It does not matter. You're still going to have to pay them top dollar. You want to get the free agents, you're going to have to pay them the top dollar and show them that you've got got this stadium that now is going to be much more comfortable for them to pitch in. And the things that we haven't seen, Kevin, the amenity that the home side is going to have really are state of the art. The last ballpark to open was Atlanta uh, in 2017. Uh, I didn't have the number of uh, sports science and analytics type am- centric amenities that this Paul park is going to have for its, its players in the clubhouse. So um, if players and they won't get to see it this year, but uh, if visiting players start to become aware of what's in there, I think that will also make this park a little bit more attractive if the dollars are equal. And for some of
1: us who are getting wider in our, and uh, when I say wider, I don't say whiter, wider, W-I-D-E-R, in our old age, uh, the seats are wider too.
0: Yes, so. the seats are they are they are wider. I don't think that's going to have any impact on the players, uh, but it will uh, if they ever let fans into the park. And at some yeah. point in time, I'm I'm sure they will. But it's it, it just says a lot about the, the Rangers franchise that they would build this this place um, and that. They wouldn't be able to open it in front of fans.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's God's uh, revenge on the on the on the uh, on the Rangers. No question about it. All right, uh, <laughs> revenge on them in 48 years, man. Yeah, that's true. Uh, okay, so let's talk about uh, let's talk about Brad Townsend, who somehow talked to Dallas Morning News and is spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to allow him to go to Orlando and be in the bubble and then write about in his room. room and write about himself every day. And this is what I did today. Reader. Someone sounds
2: jealous. Someone sounds <laughs> jealous, Evan. I think we're getting a little, I think Kevin wants to be sent somewhere to write about himself. I,
1: I can write my myself right here. Are you kidding? Yeah, we
2: know. We know.
1: Uh, <laughs> so. I was so
0: jealous Brad tweeted about the when he was finally uh freed from his quarantine and the NBA hosted Happy Hour around the pool. Right? Yeah. I noticed that. I listen, I I will say this, you all oh, the three of us are um well we have about seventy-five years of experience at the morning news between the three of us. Um, and we've always been proud of the investment that, that the paper makes. And in all seriousness for them to commit to send Brad down there uh, as one of 10 print reporters, I, I'm really, uh, I'm really impressed. And I, I think that. Uh, that was Grant
1: Moise calling to yeah, tell uh, Eva. Good job.
0: It <laughs> more thumbs up. Um, I, I think that what Brad the first story was was really really worth it you know there's only so much you can do the next week when you're locked up in your room but i i think now that brad's actually got access to players um we're gonna get we're gonna get really good uh insight on this on this unbelievable finish
1: so david let me ask you this about that because you know you're an old nba guy um uh it's interesting to me that the, uh, the you know, because you see this, uh, people talking about LeBron James this way he's, in his dotage, we're, we're going to say here that this was probably, I, I would guess that this layoff here has been the best, better for him than anything else. Because because now he's fresh going to, you know, to play eight games. And then, then you go into the playoffs. You should be seeing the very best of some of these, certainly him, but also some of the other older stars at this point in the season.
2: I would think so, especially for especially for a player like LeBron who has gone deep deep into the playoffs every year um you know you go back and you look at it and people don't think about it but but just in playoff performances the n b a goes on so long you're tacking on another three to four seasons or more. Onto a guy's career just with playoff runs, and LeBron has done that. And it's not just that he's been a part of playoff runs; it's been that he's been the central figure every single moment he's been on the court in all of those games. And and that takes a toll on you as well, mental and physical. So, I I would think certainly in in LeBron's case, this is you're going to see a a a fresher LeBron than you normally see later. Uh, This is this is going to be an interesting study though because. You can argue this both ways. I mean, while one, I think a lot of veteran players will feel refreshed. I will also say they're creatures of habits and they have this routine carved out that has worked for them for their entire career. And now suddenly you drop a four month break into it, in essence, and then say, "Okay, get back up. And not only but listen, we're not starting a season we're finishing a season and going straight into the playoffs. So, um, you know, the, the preparation time that so many of them have gotten down to a fine art is going to be disrupted. And then you can argue, well, the younger guys are going to be, you know, have an advantage because they'll come back fresh. They'll have, they'll have more energy. Um, they're not as accustomed to a routine. They're more adaptable. So they won't be a set in their ways. So it's going to be a, to me, it's going to be a fascinating generational study uh, in, in a lot of ways uh, of athletes as far as how uh, this this very short ending to the regular season and then directly going into the postseason is going to turn out.
1: You know, I'm I'm really intrigued here uh, from the Maverick standpoint of of how this has worked out this season. And a couple of things that surprised me. The biggest thing that surprised me because uh, I, I wrote going into the season, I thought that Chris Stapps, Przingis, and Luka Doncic would develop this immediate chemistry simply because they're European players. Uh, European basketball is so highly skilled. It's the same in basketball and hockey, both. Very highly skilled, uh, lots of attention to detail, uh, uh, and uh, they're used to playing that way, used to you know uh, giving up the ball, doing what they have to do to facilitate uh, the offense moving, the movement of it, uh, and everything that that incorporates, and obviously, Luca very precocious anyway, a guy who's, who's years ahead of his time, or should be his time, in, as a basketball player. Uh, and that didn't happen at all. Uh, he, he uh, uh, Porzingis did struggle, and and, and uh, that was hard for me to figure out exactly what it was that was going on. And then when Dwight Powell got hurt and was out they had to play uh, Porzingis more at center. And he's just seemed far more comfortable playing that position than he is uh, on offense playing a forward spot. Uh, and, and I'm wondering, uh, uh, when Dwight, uh, Dwight Powell's not coming back, you know, this season, but uh, when he does come back, because of the success that – or at least the comfort that Porzingis has shown playing as a center, do you think that they will keep him in that role going forward?
2: Well, I think what they have to determine too, and and again, this has been such a strange season. I don't know that you have the full answer. Um, I think if you're coming back off a significant injury, you can probably showcase your skills and look a little more accomplished at center than you can at power forward where you're out on the floor more. And I think that's some of what uh, Porzingis ran into. Uh, I think it just, um, he's a remarkably skilled player for his size. I think it was probably a little bit easier to showcase some of those skills, and he didn't have some of the demands on him at center as when he was out at power forward and was having to do more lateral movement and was having to uh, attack the basket in different spots and different ways. So um, I I really put that, but you're right. I mean, that that turned out to be the traction that he needed to kind of find a groove and get back to the player uh, that that everyone anticipated him to be. I think he's going to be the player going forward that he fills either one of those roles. It depends on who you have next to him and you know what the best lineup's going to be. I think he's just gonna flow back and forth between those two and I think he'll be very effective in both. But but you're right, it really underscored that, you know what, maybe we made this too difficult. Why not just put him in a position uh, and let him excel there and then work his way back to his natural position, what he did before versus the other way around.
1: You know, because that's what, you know, Rick, I remember when, you know, when the the, the Mavericks acquired Jason Kidd, reacquired Jason Kidd. And, uh, I, you know, I was always a big kid fan because of what he could do and the way he plays and how smart he is. And, you know, that didn't work so great. Uh, it, it took a while. And and basically the, the feeling was that, that it, it started to work when uh, Rick Carlisle gave Kid the keys and said, okay, here you go. And that's when the of the flow offense really took off and, uh, and, and they were just a much better team at that point. And, and I'm just wondering if this is kind of the same thing. It's like just what you were talking about Um look, let's not overthink this. Uh, let, let's let this guy do what he does best and be comfortable. And, and, and then as time goes by, we can do something else. But I think clearly, uh, Porzingis was uncomfortable. I I think he, you know, the times that after a game that I, I, I talked to him, uh, if he played well, I was in Milwaukee when they, he had a terrific game in Milwaukee when they pulled off that upset up there, a great game, maybe, maybe their best game of the season so far. And, uh, and it was clear then he he was said yeah he was I'm just still trying to even now I'm trying to get my comfort level right uh, and not just with physically from recovering from that injury but just you know what am I supposed to be doing you know wh- you know exactly what what's been expected of me when you've been the centerpiece of the offense like he had been with the Knicks you know there was no. You know, we just get him in the ball, right? You know, sure. and that's the deal. When you've got Luka Doncic, who is a better player than Kristaps Porzingis is, and, and he's the point guard besides, well, you, you're automatically the two now. And that was going to be uh, a question of how he would accept that role as well. I, you know, I, I'm not still not sure how he's accepting it. I, I think he probably understands it. I think he, you know, a guy can say he understands it, but whether he really means that or not, you know, it's, it's hard to say sometimes. I, I think he should accept that and, and should accept what it means. Cause I, I do think that, that Doncic is a generational talent. Um, and I think that people are coming to that conclusion more and more all the time. So uh, but, but, you know, you don't know until you get those guys out there together.
2: Yeah. And it's, and again, Luca Doncic is going to accelerate anyone's um, comfort with the system. But you can still only accelerate it so much, and and especially when you're coming back off a significant injury in a system you've never played before, and finding exactly what your spot is. You know, sometimes, sometimes players aren't willing to defer. Sometimes they're willing to defer too much. Sometimes they just get confused, and it takes it takes a little bit of time to to work through all that. And sometimes you can be perfectly comfortable in a system in the first three quarters, but in tight games late where every possession matters, you're not as comfortable, and it takes some time to work through that. So, um, and and again, Porzingis missed some time earlier this year as he was coming back off the injury and they didn't want to overextend him. And then Luca missed some time. So um, they really haven't had that much time together on the court. And uh, I I don't think there are any long-term concerns or really any intermediate concerns uh, about those two together, I, I just don't think we've seen them together as much as everyone envisioned. You would have to this point.
1: Well, and we talked earlier about uh, LeBron James being refreshed. You know, uh, Luca was also having a lot of nagging. He was issues. beat up, yeah, he
2: was. Uh,
1: thumbs, ankles, feet, whatever. You know, he he had several things, and, and seems to be all, recovered from all of those now. So uh, this could be a lot of fun watching. See what the Mavericks do here. I think they, you know. They should really enjoy this. You know, they're not going to be picked to, to win anything big. Uh, I think they have the potential to do something here. It's kind of like, what the heck, let's go out here. Uh, this, in my mind, because next year, there will be great expectations for the Mavericks, uh, After, especially if they are able to do anything, any more acquisitions. Uh, And and so with those expectations, that comes pressure. I I think right now there's very little pressure on the Mavericks uh, at at this point that they should really enjoy this push and, and they should get the most out of whatever it is that they can do.
2: Yeah. This is always the best time in the development of a team to make a move, to do it sooner than anyone expects, because you're exactly right. Going into next season, uh, they will make the playoffs this year. um, And, Next year, that expectation is not only going to be there, but, well, you're a young team. You should be better, so you should go further than what you did the previous season. Um, that is not an issue this year. They've already gone further than anyone expected before the playoffs even start. Uh, so, uh, yeah, this is – and, again, I, I just go back traditionally. Usually, the, the teams that, that really put themselves in the championship equation arrive sooner than what you think they will, even if the expectations were there. They, they traditionally break through and become a force a year or two before you anticipate, and those are the teams that usually stay up there a little bit longer and do something. Um, so I think we're going to learn a lot about this Mavericks team in postseason.
0: Hey, Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to jump in with just a little bit of breaking news, Kevin, that you may want to react to real quickly.
2: You want to move up a little closer
1: so we can hear you? We can't really hear you.
0: I don't know what's wrong with this microphone, but um, uh, we have a little bit of breaking news you may want to react to, Kevin. What's, what's that, Evan? Um, the UIL this morning has uh, pushed the start of football and volleyball for 5A and 6A schools back uh, five weeks. So no high school football for the big schools before September 24th. No games.
1: You know, uh, us Hillcrest people, we don't care about that cuz we're 4A and so we get to discharge right on through, pal. You know, we we care. Of course, it's a Dallas school, so they're not they're not really starting until uh, September 8th anyway, so I don't, you know. It it's it, it, all this is really crazy to me, isn't it? it we we're, we're saying that the big schools have to delay all this time, but the smaller schools, nah, you guys go ahead. We don't care about you all. Yeah, What's well,
2: easier to distance of those smaller schools? <laughs> I guess. I guess. You
1: know, that was always the thing, too, at Hillcrest football games. Uh, you, you know, at w- home games, we'd have a, uh, you know, fairly decent crowd. But then you'd look over across the stadium at some some teams we'd play, and li- literally, they, you know, this is Texas high school football, and there might be 30 people over there. You know, it's just unbelievable. So, so, you know, we had really no problem with social distancing in our, in our football (laughs) games over there where the kids were playing.
0: What do you think the reason would be for the difference um, for the different regulations? I think just because of what we just said, because most of the smaller
1: schools are not in hot spots, uh, you know, outside of, of the major urban areas like Houston and Dallas. And they already have the, you know, those, you know, Dallas County schools have already instituted what their rules are going to be about when, when they can start up. Uh, and so I think that the, the local municipalities have taken care of those. Otherwise, smaller schools are way out in the country. Right, and so uh, they're not they're not hot spots, and so there's smaller smaller fan bases, smaller everything. You know, I think that's I think that's what they're looking at. I think what they're afraid of is schools like Allen. You know, and and you've got twenty thousand people at a game. Uh, I don't way like, that
0: fans other than immediate family are coming to coming to games this year. I just don't see it.
1: Well, I don't know. I I, I got to tell you, I I have no idea what people are going to do. Uh, I, I was amazed at uh, the response after uh, Greg Riddle uh, polled uh, local high school coaches and asked them questions about uh, how they felt about maybe flip-flopping and going, you know, playing football in the spring and playing the spring sports in the fall because you, at least you can social distance in, in the in the typical spring sports. And so I I wrote about that too, and then the and the you know, the backlash from coaches, you know, you've got coaches tweeting at me, you know, it's like most of the time high school coaches are, are excited that you said anything about them, you know, and, and, and they're, and they're hitting back at me like, Hey, Hey, we're, we're, we're going to play and we're going to do this. And it's like, man, I don't know about you guys. You know, I I, I wouldn't take, I, I'm just trying to look at the science here and defer to the professionals.
0: I'm just going to say this, my experience during, um, the, this whole last few is this months. a dalai lama thing you're doing with your hand what does this mean I'm my hand because on the rangers conference calls we have to raise our hands <laughs> um i uh my experience the last couple months um which was accentuated by the uh the column i wrote the other day about potential name changes if the rangers were to go down that path
1: the O'Neaters.
0: people don't seem to like change i i i'm, I'm this is, this is something I. Just you, you just stumbled on. onto this
2: yeah so
0: it's, it's, um, the, the idea of anything changing seems to be seems to cause great distress oh my gosh oh my gosh well you know i wrote
1: about the what's going on in tyler over there where they're renaming two high schools and man i just listening i listened on the youtube to the high school uh so they had 40 people get up to, you know, speak their piece about this idea before the school board, you know, and, and a lot of the people who were uh, objecting to this were, were not going to speak, you know, uh, but some did, and and I, of course, got a lot of emails from people after I wrote about that who did, and I have to tell you, if somebody, if somebody told me that, Kevin, you're going to have to change your name, my name, I'd say at this point, for some reason, I'd say, okay, sure, all right, what, what, what do you want? What do you want it to be? I don't care. You know, it, I went to J. Frank Dobie High School, named after, of course, the great Texas uh, author and historian. And uh, I was reading something that he he'd written the other day, Coronado's Children, uh, which is basically about uh, all the crazy, you know, uh, hunting for gold stories, you know, uh, in Texas. And and you know, it gets a little redundant after a while. I'm 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 really hoping it picks up here. But at one point he, he he refers to this story one of the uh, apocryphal stories about a lost mine and it's the lost inward mine and uh and this was written in nineteen thirty and uh, up to that point he'd been pretty circumspect about using the word negro uh, but at but at this point he just Lost all inhibitions and just use the N word all through it. It was such a struggle to read it. Uh, I, I just like, wow. I'm I'm just making my. That's kind of how I'm. That's that's my reading. I don't read for pleasure. I read to punish myself. And, and so I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm reading.
0: I'm reading your own stuff,
1: huh? Oh. <laughs> and and so I'm thinking, you know, if someone were to come forward and say this was so disgusting and this is prevalent through all of his writing, which it's not, but if it, it was prevalent with all his writing, and we want to change the name of the high school, I'd say, have at it. I don't care. You know, you're changing the name, if you're not changing. People were saying you're canceling history. Th- these people still went to this high school, Robert E. Lee High School and John Tyler High School. They still went there. Their classes are still there. They're still going to have the same mascots, all the records they set, everything they did, that's all still there. They're just changing the name. You didn't go to the high school. You you know, I had no romance with the name of of the school. And if the Rangers need to change their name at some point, because everybody's going to object to it, and we've, we've had two national columnists say that should happen. I will say that At least both of those people were from Texas, so at least they did have some roots here before they wrote that. Uh, If they want to change the name of the Rangers, I'm fine with that, you know. Uh, They were senators in another place. That's a worse name in my
0: mind than Rangers is. Uh, I I I was just the two columnists who wrote about the nickname. One was based in Washington where they have a little bit of an issue um, with a team name themselves. The other was based in Chicago where the hockey team – is supposedly named after a military unit, but I don't see anything military about the mass the uh, the, no. the black the, the black hawk sweater. So it, it is you know you go back that that was the thing that kind of led me down this road with this with this column about after the Rangers decided that they were over the weekend going to name their two uh, intra-squad teams after local uh, Negro League pioneer teams, um, and one of them was the Wonders. I just started looking around the ballpark to say, okay, like, if this team changed their nickname, they just changed their nickname. What would it do to their logos? Like how dramatic would anything have to change? And it wouldn't. Literally nothing would have to change. There's nothing connected to the Rangers uh, of the law enforcement agency in any of this team's marks. It's all the state of Texas and it's all the giant T. So as long as you continue to brand this team as Texas, nothing has to change if you don't want it to except what you, what you call the team in print. But as, as we've noted, people, people
1: don't like changing. And they, and they uh, the, the amazing thing to me about all this stuff is the bottom line is that so many people, people get mad because you got mad, right? That, that's the thing that blows me away. People are mad because someone else is mad. You know, it's like, Why, why are you mad about that? Why is that bothering you so much that someone else is angry? And then I had people saying you're, you're shoving stuff down my throat. And I said, listen, you don't have to read this. If if you don't like it, just move on, move on to the next thing. I'm not, I'm not making you read anything. I'm not, I'm not making you do this. And, but that's the way if, if, if it's something that somebody doesn't like, then you're shoving it down my throat. Uh, I, yeah. Okay.
0: Right. I will I, I would just say this and leave it at that. I know you've written one column about this, and I, I don't know that I feel strongly that the Rangers name has to change in any shape or form. I thought that uh what they did this weekend was a nice gesture and I thought it provided a jumping off point into the discussion. And as, as somebody who um may have occasionally hosted a radio show with, with David Moore said to me on one occasion, um Don't know that anything has to change, but don't know that you can't have a conversation about it. And that's all, that's all it really is, is a conversation about, okay, where do we, where does something stand? Um, What are the potential options and what are the potential ramifications? Absolutely.
1: All right, David, let's talk about these Cowboys because the rookies, as we speak, I guess today is the day they're supposed to report on Tuesday. Uh, Quarterbacks
2: will report on Thursday. Okay, and then the rest of the squad will report on july 28th
1: and uh, and that just apparently means a whole lot of nothing right
2: it means that the first padded practice will probably take place in maybe the third week of august it's going to be a a very different ramp up um you know what once i mean the the rookies are reporting this is tuesday the rookies are reporting on tuesday and uh you have to have two negative tests and they have to be 72 hours in between the test. And so, hours. yeah, so they're not allowed into the building. So they're, they're reporting and not actually going to the star. They're not allowed to the team facility until they have two negative tests. So, and, and then at that point uh, you have a prolonged weight and conditioning period. Um, you have, you know, basically it, every player, once they report, there's going to be a five to six day period where it's testing and physicals. And you can't take your physical until you have two negative tests. So uh, from the report date, you allow five to six days before you even get to the point where then you go into the white room and you start going on the field to do walkthroughs, not practices, but really just walkthrough sessions. Um, then you're going to have that for at least uh, at least seven to ten days, um, you know, you you look at some of these, and again, it, it's not set in stone yet because this was the NFL's latest proposal and it hadn't been signed off off on. But basically, you're looking at day 20 in camp from your initial report date before you actually put on pads and go through what you consider training camp practices. So you're talking about 20 days from July 28th, if that is what is accepted by the players union.
1: Now that's more uh, uh, protocol than I was aware of, because that's certainly been the complaint about players now uh, is that they want to plan. We, we know the MLB had a plan, 101 pages of plan. So most of it most the minutiae is unbelievable, the things they're expecting these guys to to do and comply with. Uh, We know that the NBA has a a protocol. They're in a bubble. Uh, So NFL players are complaining and saying, hey, these other sports seem to have their acts together and they know what they're going to do. We're still not sure exactly what the plan is. Is there really a plan the NFL is is about to embark upon, or are they just winging it?
2: No, I, there's a plan there now. That the difference is going to be you're you're not in a bubble. You're it's not going to be like the NHL where you have a a couple of zones, uh, you know, or hubs in, in which you're going to be stationed to play. Um, you're going to be going to practice. You're going to be going to the facility, and then you're going to be going home to your family. And you're going to be interacting uh, in the world. Uh, you're not going to be put up at a hotel the entire time like you normally are in training camp. Uh, you're going to be interacting and, and having a greater chance uh, to get this disease. So that's, um, that's the other side of not being in a bubble, you know. Uh, so now you go about, uh, and, and the testing is right now, you're gonna, the players are gonna be tested every day for at least two weeks. And then if you get below a certain percentage then, positive test is going to go to every other day Uh, but you know from from the moment you report report through the start of the season uh, you're going to be tested at least what 14 consecutive days and then every other day after that going forward And, and I would anticipate that would be somewhat similar to what you have going into the season but then going into the season, you have a whole lot of other issues, and and, and there's so much to work through, and it's, and it's not just players coming down or testing positive during the week. What's going to happen if you have five players test positive just before a road game? Now, obviously, those players aren't going to play in that game, and they're going to be quarantined for 10 days, 10 to 14 days, whatever the protocol is going to be at that time. And and, and I think all sports are willing to adapt their protocols as more information comes in. That's, that's a, you know, that is there. But, okay, so you have your offensive coordinator and six players on your team come or test positive two hours before your game on September 28th on the road. Well, it's not just they're going to miss that game. Don't they have to quarantine in place? Can they even come back to Dallas? Aren't they going to have to stay in the city where they tested positive? And how are you going to handle that with all these things? So, again, uh, you're not going to have those issues in a bubble. You're not going to have those issues in the NHL as much. But I would anticipate it's going to happen in, in Major League Baseball, too. What happens when you go and play somewhere and then suddenly you find on the test, either before or you know whenever you're testing, it's like, oh, well, wait a minute. In these three days while you've been in Seattle, uh, now you have all of these players or employees test positive. They got to stay here for for 14 days. You can go back to Texas, but you know, these guys stay here and and we're going to have those examples come up. There's, there's just no question about it.
1: So let me ask you this then if, uh, uh, because you brought up the fact that there is no bubble, uh, for training camp, you know, basically training camp is kind of a
2: bubble because and it's always been a bubble so- before. Yeah. That's the irony yeah. of this.
1: Yeah. And so, so why didn't they try to do that now? Is that just because they're cheap and trying to save some money?
2: Well, n- no, I mean, it, it's, you know, that that is why I always thought there was a better chance than most people thought that the Cowboys would go back to Oxnard because they could control the environment more. Um if, if you're, if you have a camp here, um, it doesn't make financial sense, even though this is a hot spot now, I mean, it doesn't make financial sense to go, oh, no, we're going to keep you at the hotel and not allow you to leave the hotel and not allow your family to come in. Um, you know, especially when when a lot of these players have homes within five to 10 minutes of the practice facility. That That seems a little That seems a little silly, just geographically. It may not be silly as far as the best way to contain it, but um, the the problem they ran into was that, look, under under the agreed to structure before, you would never have more than three days without an off day. You would have three days of practice, then an off day. Three days of practice, then an off day. Well, now since they haven't had an off-season program, all that's out the window. And now you're actually going to have more consecutive days, is my belief, uh, before you have off days because it's not going to be as strenuous. Uh, so it just altered their entire approach to how you get ready for the season. And when they when they saw that, you know what, with no teams having an off-season, we're going to have to keep all of these teams we're going to have to have a longer period in strength and conditioning and cardio to get them ready to put on pads. Once they realized that was what it was going to be, then it was like, well, it makes more sense to do that at your own facility, but not all these facilities have the hotel capability to put up everyone on property. So there were just too many issues to work through from an individual setting. Uh, by the time they reached a spot where they realized what this camp was going to look like.
1: Now we know that uh, there's a possibility in all these sports that uh, athletes are going to opt out. Some of them already have. Um, and, uh, but we haven't really seen any sport except for football, except for the NFL where you've had players so vocal before they even got there. Uh, and I'm just wondering um, if we uh, it's my uh, opinion that more players will opt out of the NFL because a it's, it's more dangerous than any of the other ones. There, there, there's certainly exposed there at a greater exposure or risk of exposure, uh, playing a, a contact sport than in any, any of the other ones except for maybe basketball, uh, and B, they've already, they've already said they're mad. You know, if, if they're mad before they even get there, uh, so what, what's it going to be like after they get there? What, what can, can Jerry Jones do to alleviate their concerns and fears about what's going to happen once they actually show up?
2: Yeah, I think they were mad and frustrated by the lack of structure that was in place so close to the start. Uh, because, again, you know, all of Houston and Kansas City reported yesterday because they're going to play on that Thursday night game before anyone else plays, uh, before the the rest of the team start on Sunday uh, in September. So they get to report a little bit earlier. Uh, I I think the frustration you saw was, how can we be on the eve of two teams reporting and you don't have any of this worked out yet? We still don't know the testing protocols yet. Uh, We still don't know how many preseason games, if any, will be played how in the world can you not know that by now and and i think that was that was the tenor uh, of of what you saw on social media on sunday and you did see demarcus lawrence was was very vocal about it about how you have to look at this and and i i do believe you will have there's no question there will be nfl players that will opt out but from what i took from what was being said uh it was not a groundswell of players saying I'm not going to take part in this. And again, I think a lot, of, a lot of clubs would be skeptical. While they would recognize that emotionally, they would say, okay, but once all of these players sit down and look at the economics of it and what they're losing, they will make a different opinion. Uh, this is just an emotional response. But part of that emotional response is because, look, You haven't done your due diligence. You haven't given us any specifics about what you're doing for our health. Tell us what you're doing for our health. And and now you're starting to see more specifics on that. You're starting to see the NFL adopt more of the proposals that the NFLPA suggested going forward in this camp. I I think that's going to appease by and large the majority of the membership, not all, but the majority. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see how that all develops.
1: Well, boys, we've rambled along here for quite a while, uh, and we've all got stuff to do. Evan's excited about being finished with the podcast. I think. Evan he uh, to be. Yeah, Evan. Uh, listen, I didn't ask you. You know, when we go out there tonight uh, for for that uh, that fine ball game at the new park, uh, are you bringing food, or are we eating their little their little takeout stuff? They're going to have up there.
0: Um, I I, I don't know yet. They, but they will have food uh, available for purchase. Yeah. What's it going to be? Um, I, I My menu consultation, Zoom, is at one o'clock today. I'm sorry. <laughs>
1: I figured as much.
0: You know what okay. you could do, Kevin? You could be a real sweetheart. Here's what you could do. You could leave the house early, yep. go to Fort Worth, pick up some Heim, and bring it to the ballpark to share with us. Can I do that? Can I get that through security? Oh, yeah. Really? Wow. That would be really good. Yeah, but we shouldn't be eating from the same plate. So.
1: <laughs> Who said I was bringing any for you? I'm just going to get it for it's myself. For us, Kevin, for us. Oh, for us. Okay. All right. I, I'm afraid that was going co- to cause problems in the press box. You know, the, they, they start smelling that down, at, you know, at the other end. And then the next thing you know, it's, it's, there's enough bitterness between the Dallas Morning News that you, have, that you and Jerry Fraley have created over the years with our, our good friends in Fort Worth. Uh, and uh, as well as mlb.com.
0: say one of the great realizations, uh, two of the great realizations that I have made during um, this uh, pandemic, and I'd like to reveal them both here. Um, And and, and I know a lot of people already knew them about me, but it's it's important to have some self-realization at some point in time. Number one, I am an Um, (laughs) a-hole. And number two, I'm a coward. Uh, so I've completely come to grips with, with both of these and um, that's how I will be living my life for, for the remaining days
2: and I don't think there's a better way to end this podcast so for Kevin and Evan we would like to thank all of you for joining us on Ballsy and let's do it again next week goodbye bye